with me, Andy McCarl, and on today's show, we will be reviewing Killers of the Flower Moon, as well as looking back on the career of director Martin Scorsese. And it is my honor, my pleasure, my privilege to welcome my guest today. He is the scholar of Scorsese. It's movie critic Chris Wasser. Chris, how are you today, sir? Andy, delighted with that very kind intro. I think that might be the I think that might be the nicest intro you've, you've given me. I thought, I thought Count of Monte Fisto now was quite good as well. Oh uh, yeah, I thought about that afterwards and realized I didn't appreciate it, but <laughs> <laughs> it sounded worse than it was. <laughs> no, that's a nice one. So, Killers of the Flower Moon is the twenty seventh feature film from Martin Scorsese. Before we get into it, what's it all about? What's it all about? Well, that's kind of a tricky question. It's a, it's a complicated, uh, chilling chapter uh, from American history, which takes its cue from a David Grant nonfiction bestseller uh, that was published in 2017. And I actually think the, the rights for this film, uh, you know, there, there were bidding wars, but before the thing was even was even published. But, you know, once Scorsese's name enters the ring, you know, everyone else in the room can forget about it. Um, so we're working with this, uh, as I said, complicated true story um, that takes place, you know, at the turn of the 20th century, somewhere in the 1910s, it begins with this chap named Ernest Burkhardt, who's portrayed by Leonardo DiCaprio. And he's just returned from the First World War. And He's not okay. He's, you know, he's more than a little dazed, distracted, a little wobbly on his feet. And he's probably a little bit surprised to see that his hometown looks a little bit different. He's from Oklahoma and his uncle, when he gets home, his uncle's name is William King Hale, played by Robert De Niro. He fills him in on what's happened. And that is that the Osage people of Oklahoma, they discovered oil beneath their land. And so the money came pouring in and with it, a shift in power. So you have this case that where, you know, in the late 1910s and going into the 1920s, the Osage nation of Oklahoma had become one of the wealthiest in America. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the you, you also had, you know, troublesome white people coming in from all over America looking for their slice of the pie. And they some of them would do anything, you know, for to, to get their hand on that greasy oil money. Uh, Hale, we see, is an important figure. He's an admired, uh, you know, he's admired and respected everywhere he goes. And he's a friend to Native Americans. So the last thing they might suspect him of doing is secretly orchestrating this, you know, violent campaign to erase the Osage bloodline. And that's what's happening because across the county you have, Native Americans uh, uh, showing up dead, and some of them have been uh, some of them have been shot, and other people have been stabbed, and and, and a few of them are, are, are mysteriously perishing from this so-called uh, wasting uh, uh, disease. Um, and and you know we know straight away that that Hale is responsible for this. Um, and, you know, he's trying to also tell Ernest that, that you know, that there are things at play that are bigger than him and things that he might not understand. So he he sees that Ernest, uh, and I'm sorry, this is quite a long synopsis, but it's quite a long build-up, Andy. Um, but he sees that Ernest is a little bit of a liability. So he kind of just warns him, keep your nose clean. He gets him a simple job as a driver. But in getting him a job as a driver, that means that Ernest crosses paths with this Osage woman named Molly. The two of them hit it off. A union is sort of inevitable. You know they're going to get married. And as it turns out, this might benefit Hale because Molly family is among the richest people in the Osage nation. So that that is basically our setup there that, you know, you have your bad guy, you've got your younger kind of naive character, and you've got the family to whom the younger character is going to marry into. I hope some of that makes sense. It did, and you were saying there about a long intro of this. The thing that stood out, the first thing that stood out to me is this film is three hours and 40 minutes. And one of the things I kept thinking is I could watch a whole season of Faulty Towers and I'd still be out before this film ends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, I think you might be more satisfied uh, with this than than than, than with Faulty Towers, uh, which even as I say it, actually, that sounds a little bit of a uh, that sounds a little bit strange. Very savage. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I was thinking about you know going into this, I was like, how much Scorsese is too much Scorsese? Would I prefer you know four hours almost of Scorsese than no Scorsese at all? I think so because you know the Irishman was 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 three hours and twenty twenty nine minutes long and. And I love that. And we might be talking about it a little bit later on. Uh, but it, it's it's weird that the runtime is is the number one topic of conversation around this film at the minute. And if you, you know, go on X, formerly known as Twitter, uh, you'll see that people are, are saying that, uh, you know, if you just if you, if you search the runtime, if you search Killer, Killer, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, you'll see that people are already saying they're going to wait until it comes to Apple TV and they're going to wait and watch it in, 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 in installments. And as a result, you have Scorsese, who's who's pretty much the only person allowed to do interviews around this film at the moment for obvious reasons, defending the runtime and saying people are always binging four or five hour series. What's the what's the difference? Like, what's not to love about sitting back in a cinema for three plus hours and going, okay, work your magic, take me away here. Um, so the, the the runtime didn't really bother me going into it. I wasn't thinking, oh, this is going to be very long. While it was on, though. Yeah, you do start to feel it a little bit. You know, it is a backside numbing runtime. It, 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 there are parts in the film which are a little bit sluggish. Um, it does take its time with the build up. 
Uh, I mean, it, it's around the two hour mark that Jesse Plemons, Tom White, who is an FBI agent before they were even known as the FBI, you know, they were kind of, I think they were formed around the turn of the, the 20th century. So yeah, the FBI was in its infancy. It's two hours before the cop shows up in the cop and Robert film. <laughs> so that's, that's an awful long time to wait. Yeah, I did. I was watching the thing. I did see Jesse Plemons was in this. Has been replaced it and I didn't know about it. Yeah. But the point you were thinking about that, like, I think... Scorsese somewhat missed the point there when you're watching like you know four episodes of a show there is a natural you know break in play there where you know you you, you get yeah. your five minutes you run the toilet whatever usually for something like this I am inundated with like when there's a premiere I get ticket requests from everybody like oh the new Scorsese can you get there you know can you get me tickets can you get me this and everyone I said it to I was like oh that's it's three hours 46 minutes they were like no you're okay like, like this is the first time in a long time I've had trouble finding someone to go with me to a, to a premiere of a film. I think it's going to put off a hell of a lot of people. I think part of it as well is the Irishman not being as well received as it was. Like everybody was kind of, well, everybody in my circle was like, this is just way too long. You, you tend to forget things like Casino and Wolf of Wall Street are three hours plus as well. That's I right, think yeah. this has a problem with how the, the story is structured in that it doesn't, have the pace or the zip that they do because it's a very, you know, very serious, very reflective, obviously based on a true story as well. I, I think past kind of the opening week in the Scorsese hardcores, I think this could suffer, especially when we know it's coming for uh, to Apple TV very soon. How do you think it's going to be uh, audiences are going to find it? Well, I think it's going to be tricky for cinemas who will be able to put on fewer screenings. And I think it's going to be tricky for, you know, the Scorsese crowd and, and for, which is which is you know it's it's an adult audience and and that's a huge commitment for adults to make to go see you know a four-hour film in the middle of the week let's say like it's it it is a hard sell um but i just i just hope that people don't see the runtime and go no definitely not going to watch that because i do think for all of its flaws and yes i said you know look i'll 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 put i'll put them all out there as i said a little bit sluggish maybe it does you know it definitely does it lacks the discipline and the structure of some of scorsese's earlier pictures and in terms of performances you know for every great performance there's a bit of a wobbly one and i wasn't taken at all with brendan fraser's turn in this you'd be waiting an awful lot you're waiting days to see brendan fraser in this and he only has a couple of scenes and i just think it's all over it's all overdone it's all overcooked he's playing this you know uh uh, slippery southern lawyer who just dials it up to 11 in the courtroom and that just put me off because i thought the other performances maybe aside from 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 leo who gets a bit shouty at times the other performances are quite steady and quite level-headed um so yeah there are flaws but i still i thoroughly enjoyed the experience i love the experience of being inside this film i thought it's beautiful to look at i thought the score which is provided by uh robbie robertson who actually uh, uh died a couple of months back the score is almost like this um it's it, it there's, there, there's a bluesy vibe going on but it's it's percussive in a way that once it starts it, it's almost like a native american uh percussion in the background and it's almost like this beating heart in the film and this and i found that when 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 that drum is beating you you, you know the, the 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 film is moving it's when it stops that you that I realize okay something sinister is about to happen here or there's going to be there's going to be a turn so, so the, the 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 score plays a really important part in this film and I love that I thought the Nero was the best he's been in a long time and I thought you know oh he, any minute now he's going to lose any minute the mask is going to slip because he is playing you know this you know sneaky menace uh you know the, 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 this guy is evil um and I thought at one stage you know the mask is going to slip and the Nero is going to go all out and he didn't and I quite liked that. Um, so I thought like the performances were great. I thought it was beautiful to look at. I actually really enjoyed the the editing. And I know we're going to have a, a, an argument about this, but the ending. Now, we're not going to say how this story ends, but the manner in which Scorsese frames those final scenes, um, th- there's a bit of trickery involved. I'm, I'm, I don't want to I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but I there's something that, that happens. Horrendous, that complete, I loved it. That, that undone everything. Like we said, it was about two hours into the film before I, I looked at my watch when I had an hour and a half left in this. And because I, I, I was very, very invested, it wasn't like when Jesse Plemons showed up, I was like, oh, Jesus, yeah, I forgot. Jesus, there a, must be a lot of this left. But that ending, I thought, was horrific. That completely jumped the shark for me. I thought it was a woeful misstep. And I thought there's a, again, not to give away, there's a, a moment of ego in it that takes away. You've built this immersive world over the past, you know, three hour, three and a half hours. And I was like, okay, I'm invested. And then it's like, you're showing me something that's completely out of the time and out of the era. And I'm just like, 
no, there was no need for this. I could understand, I'm kind of talking about it in a roundabout way here. If it was something like, let's say, for example, it was a film about the, the Jamie Bulger killings, this the horrific thing that's still very raw, and you don't want to glorify those people, you know, the, the killers and that, and this is how you're going to avoid that. But one, it's a story that's about 100 years old, and two, you've just spent three and a half hours, you know, not glorifying, but like getting into the weeds with these characters, and then to kind of undo with them in a very unsatisfactory way on that. It, it did. It really left a bad taste in my mouth. Okay, I quite, I, I, I can see, I can see it getting a big reaction uh, on both sides. People who love it and people who hate it. Um, no surprise to hear that if you thought something was was terrible, I thought, I thought it was great. But um, no, I think Scorsese knows what he's doing, and it's a comment on you know storytelling itself. Um, the way this story has changed. Again, I'm just trying to work around the, 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 what it is without saying what it is. Uh, the way this story has been told over the years, what's been forgotten, what's been left out. Um, it was meant to, I feel as though he was intentionally changing the entire style to kind of make sure at the end, you paying attention? This is this is uh, this is going to be a postscript like nothing else you've ever you've ever seen. That's what it is. I should say that the story does end, and this is almost like a postscript. And 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 I think it's an awful lot better what he does than than you know just putting words across the screen. Um, yeah, well, we're going to have to do a different recording a few weeks. Maybe maybe wait until this thing comes out on Apple, and then if you'll have me back on the show, we can talk about it on it. You know, and we can give like a spoilerific uh, assessment of the scene itself. Uh, but no, I had an awful lot of time for this film, and I should mention Lily Gladstone's performance. It is terrific um, because she's just so good at playing this, you know, observant, um, quiet, watchful um, uh, uh, character in the corner who, who you know, she knows that there's a monster in this house. You know, she knows the man that she married and she knows that, you know, the, 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 the there's something not right with this hell character. But she does. I, I, that's, that's what I got from her anyway, but that she, she just doesn't incredible. say anything. She's also, for yeah. me, she's got the best crying and grief that i've ever seen that yeah. is not something to do like a, a weird comparison here i was watching the uh, gran turismo before this and there's a moment where the character looks like he's been killed the the main character yeah. and his mother is watching on the telly now unfortunately his mother is played by jerry hallowell from the spice girls who's just there going and it's it's just awful and lily gladstone does this where like something happens to her and she starts and you can feel it in your chest watching like you can feel the grief pour now right and you feel so empathetic for it It doesn't feel like okay here's my award moment she is so genuine and there's just so many moments between her and DiCaprio where she just conveys it with just like her eyes and just very subtle facial expression she's like a human lie detector when she's talking to her just like people think because even there's a Constantly during the film where she's referred to as a incompetent, which is how they, you know, a lot of Native Americans were kind of referred to as then. She is fucking far from incompetent. She is probably the person in this who most knows what's going on and frustratingly is the person who can't do a goddamn thing about anything that's happening. Yeah, that's the thing that I got. I was like, she knows what's going on here, but she's not going to say anything until until she's safe in a way and and also did the, the uh it's funny because her before and i think we will be hearing an awful lot about this performance again in a couple of months when the award season buzz kicks off it's funny i thought dicaprio was good not great uh and i i think it's an unusual character that he's been given to play because ernest is you know in he's he is this flight risk <laughs> he is yeah. you know ahead of ball and he's surrounded by agents and he is one himself um but it's almost like scorsese didn't set out to make a film that you know will make us laugh you know there's not an awful lot of room for humor in this film but the character of ernest is inherently ridiculous in a way and he kind of and some of the mistakes that he makes you know are darkly comical uh so it's almost like an impossible task then for leo to 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 you know, play things serious, but also you've done something ridiculous and the audience is going to laugh at this reaction. And Leo was quite good too when he gets all, you know, um, when he's all discombobulated and when he realizes that he's made a, a, a significant error, he is quite good at those darkly comical and also violent scenes. But it's just, it's just an unusual performance from very quiet one minute and very loud the next. And you're talking about grief there and how, you know, uh, Lily Gladstone is able to convey that grief in such an authentic and raw way. There's a scene also in which Leo's character, Ernest, um, you know, has delivered some 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 terrible terrible news at one stage, and he breaks down too. But I just with with, with that performance, I just saw this is Leo giving us a big kind of awards moment. 
performance with Lily Gladstone. No, that's something special. You know what I mean? So it's 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 a little bit weird. I think the star performers are Jesse Plemons, who just Jesse Plemons has this weird, unusual habit of walking into a room and stealing a scene without saying, with you know, by saying and with by doing very little, or at least making it look as though he's doing very little. He's just tremendous. Jesse Plemons, Lily Gladstone, and Robert De Niro, and also Andy. Interesting. Did you? Did, I think um, Leonardo DiCaprio was initially cast as Tom Weiss. Or that's that's what produced yeah, it. That's what Scorsese wanted them to play. It was a completely how it was. The film was initially supposed to be more focused on the investigation. He was playing yeah. the Jesse Plemons role, and Jesse Plemons was going to play um, Ernest. The story then evolved as kind of Scorsese got more involved in, in the Osage tribe and how you know their role in history essentially, and it changed then to be kind of more on that side as opposed to you know he wanted it to be less about what happened to them and more about how it happened. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it would have been a very different film. And maybe DiCaprio, because he was involved from an early stage, he maybe saw the. <laughs> well, I'm guessing that like DiCaprio would have seen the script evolve, and then realized, hold on a minute, I don't come into this until two hours in. Um, I want to play Ernest, and Ernest is a more interesting character for him to play, and he definitely gets an awful lot more screen time. Um, I just think it is a bit of a tricky one for him. So it'll go down in the good Leo performances. I just don't think it belongs in the great ones. I'll give you my hot take. I think DiCaprio is a fantastic movie star. I don't think he's a great actor. Oh, that's, that's, I mean, I don't know what to do with that. When he's doing his kind of his squinty eyed accent stuff, this is my awards film. I'm taking this very seriously. Whereas I think with things like, like Blood Diamond or The Departed, where he's, you know, I I don't know whether he was kind of overawed by the initial occasion of the departed, but I think he is a lot better in those when he isn't trying to like grab an Oscar. And you can see like the Revenant as well. The Revenant was just like, do the worst possible stuff you can do to me. We'll get all the story out. This is my award film. I I think he has that movie star presence, but I wouldn't like I've never watched a Leonardo DiCaprio film and gone, oh yeah, that's that's the character. Or I'm just looking at him going, that's Leonardo DiCaprio playing the character. Is that is that our fault in a way? Because I mean you could add Tom Cruise to that list. You could add uh you could even add De Niro to that list. You know, it, that, that even when I said, you know, you're half expecting De Niro to kind of, you know, do classic De Niro, but he doesn't. He, he delivers something some something else to the film. I don't know whether that I don't know whether we have a part to play in that. Um and I can see what you mean, but I still but I do think that he's very good at being the movie star, but also being the actor. Um I just yeah, when he's on when he's on form, you forget it's Leo acting. You're just you're you you can see the character in something like The Wolf of Wall Street. It, it's just it, like I I was I, that was Jordan. That was it. I I was I I was convinced by that performance. With this, it's like oh, he's really really trying. It's just it's it's not it's not not all of it sticking. I will agree with you hundred percent on De Niro. And as a De Niro to me is kind of one of those people who's like he will fight to his level. It reminds me. I think Muhammad Ali or Joe Lewis, they used to have a, a thing was called the Bum of the Month Club where they'd fight nobodies and they'd kind of fight to the level. Like Ali famously fought this guy, an absolute bum called the Bayonne Bleeder called Chuck Webner, who right. busted up Ali and he like, was an absolute club fighter. And this was the basis of Rocky. Stallone was in the audience and saw this like nobody fighting. But then you'd see Ali fighting somebody like George Foreman and would perform to that level. I feel like that's what De Niro is doing in this. And as I was going through it, I was like, this is his best one since. And I'm going back through it. And I kind of landed at Jackie Brown, which was 25 years ago. And I'm looking, thinking, geez, it's been 25 years since I believe we've got a truly great De Niro performance. Oh, uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was I was with you right up until the whole 25 years since a great De Niro performance. I thought he was brilliant in the Irishman. Um, and... And it's weird because I, I I did say a few minutes ago that it's the best performance. No, the Irishman. No, <laughs> no, it's you can't with that. Like half his face isn't in the film because it's been CGI'd over. And what annoyed me about that, as you were saying, look, you're not a good actor. You're just a recognizable face. What do you mean? Like De Niro's not acting in the like the younger version of that. That's like a, a miracle of CGI and technology. Oh, okay. So so you think yeah, that's not his performance in it. So it was more of a a, a feat of technology than 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 any sort of like yeah. magical acting before. Okay, um, it's, we're we're going to be talking about this in a little bit. Jordan <laughs> Joker, but I consider that a cameo. But if you're looking back at it, like leading man role, like he's done some absolute shite. And it was like, he, oh. I was going back. I was like, hang on, five years, ten years. 
15 years and i was like yeah jackie brown 1997 i was like that's the last one where i went just de niro was fucking brilliant on that okay i'll give you another one i thought he delivered a lovely turn in silver linings playbook again a, a glorified cameo i'd say i'm talking about like a leading proper you know name on the poster yeah yeah well you're forgetting about the rocky and bullwinkle film but uh yeah it's 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 i i just yeah he has okay it's i i i will say Okay, De Niro makes an awful lot more muck than than the magic. Um, but I loved him in the Irishman. Uh, I thought he was uh, wonderful here. I wouldn't be surprised if there is uh, some awards buzz for, for for De Niro here, and he certainly deserves it. Um, it it definitely this definitely has its problems, but I will urge listeners, you know, don't let that runtime deter you from from seeing this thing. Uh, I it is a ginormous film. It's you know it's exhausting, but it's also immersive. It's uh, a little bit tricky at times, but it's also beautiful to look at. There are so many people in this thing working at the very top of their game. You will not be disappointed, but by it, I, I, you'll be glad that you watched it. And also, if you watch it on a on a on a big screen, I think there will be more in it for you. So going to get a score off you there, Chris, for Killers of the Flower Moon. Out of 10, what would you give it? I'm going to go with 8 out of 10. I would agree with you as well, which I okay. am shocked at as well. Wow. <laughs> I do. I, I absolutely loved it. The runtime was a, a big problem for me. I thought the ending was a bit of a misstep as well. Frazier, 100% agree with you. That was just, he was playing Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> I was just encapsulated by that film during the, the whole time. I was. I thought the world was fantastic. I thought the performances were fantastic. And like you said, uh, you know, a, a slightly under par Scorsese is still better than 99% that's out there. Yeah, yeah. It's a weird one, isn't it? That you actually start to think, or at least I started to think afterwards, what would I change about it and what would I take out to kind of make, you know, even to, what could I take out to just make it a shorter film? I don't know. But I'll tell you one thing that that that, that I do know is that I will be watching it again soon. And so to come away from, I, I don't come away, you know, we, we get to see everything doing do, doing this work, but you know you don't come away from any film saying I can't wait to see that again. I can't wait to watch this again because there is an awful lot that I probably missed out on, or there was an awful lot that I didn't pick up on, and that's the magic I think of Scorsese films that they are, you know, designed uh, and crafted in such a way that they 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 work well on repeated viewings. Um, so yeah, it's it's a hit for me. So that was Killers of the Flower Moon, the 27th feature film from Martin Scorsese. He was also made 17 feature-length documentaries over his 55-year career. Chris, when Scorsese was starting off, he was part of the uh, the movie brats of the 70s. You had people like Brian De Palma, Francis Ford Coppola, Lucas, Spielberg as well. Where do you think Scorsese falls within those uh, the pantheon of those greats? I'd say somewhere near the top, um, although they are the greats. Um, and it's all, it often frustrates me that Scorsese kind of, you know, just it's not that, you know, people are writing him off, but people kind of just and maybe this has just been the the Marvel and Martin Scorsese argument over the last couple of years, which let's face it, it's just it's 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 kind of stupid. Uh, that whole thing of, you know, Martin Scorsese had a comment about Marvel movies and then, you know, Marvel fans just kind of came back and said, oh, Scorsese just does this and Marvel, you know, is so much better. It's a, it's a ridiculous argument. But out of it came this idea that Scorsese, you know, is just the guy that makes gangster films. He's about so much more than gangster films. And he was a filmmaker that came in at a time, like some of the names that you just mentioned there, where the studios always had the last say. And with Scorsese, you know, he was coming in as not just a director, but an author. And, you know, even though like, you know, there's maybe, you know, always there's always been, you know, co-screenwriters or there's always been, you know, he's worked with several different screenwriters. You know, he's directed films that he didn't write is what I'm basically saying. You always knew when you were watching a Scorsese film and he always pushed a little bit harder to, you know, ensure that that, that, that you knew that it was a Scorsese film. Um, and like to, to, to write him off is just against the guys to forget that, you know, he made one of the greatest boxing films ever made or to forget that he made one of the, the, the coolest sports dramas has ever made i would i would i would count his 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 version of the of of uh of uh, the color or his his film the color of money as, as as up there as just one of the most entertaining sports dramas um like the guy is just among the most influential filmmakers that ever lived and usually when filmmakers like scorsese get to the age that they are you kind of half expect them to you know maybe you know that maybe the quality will begin to dwindle maybe we'll start to kind of see them repeating themselves and that's not the case with Scorsese when you look at Killers of the Flower Moon or even you know the Irishman four or five years ago you realize these are films like nothing else in his catalog 
You know, he's still surprising us. He's still surprising himself. He's now talking about how he wants to make another film about Jesus Christ. He wants to make, uh, is it The Wager with Leonardo DiCaprio? Yeah. He still wants to do new things. That is extraordinary for a filmmaker at his stage, at the, at the, at the stage that he's at. Do you think it's ignorance as well? Because like you, you were saying, they're naming a couple of things. Like even when like Joker came out a couple of years ago, people were saying, oh, it's based on King of Comedy. And you just, it was kind of this, you know, not to throw all the Marvel and DC fans, like what, what the hell is the King of Comedy? And then you have things like the you know, the Age of Innocence or like uh, the Color of Money as well, films that you wouldn't necessarily mark as Scorsese films. Like everyone just seems to tends to go to to Goodfellas or Casino, but you know things like I wouldn't call Taxi Driver like a gangster or a crime film. I wouldn't well call it, you know, there's some crimes in Cape Fear, some very questionable crimes, and wouldn't call yeah. it a, a gangster film. Do you think it's just ignorance on people's parts? Like they just they have this idea of okay, he's only made one film or two films and that they're all the, you know, the, the standout ones. It is ignorance, but it's also about which film makes the most noise. And, you know, films like Goodfellas and The Departed and, uh, you know, even with the, with, with, with the Irishman and just the marketing that's around that, you know, these were noisy, ballsy crime dramas. And the, the you know, the, the kind that you, you know, will be quotable for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. Um, so it's, it doesn't surprise me. Um, and we shouldn't expect, you know, people like outside of, you know, maybe what we do or that have like, you know, huge interest in the film. We shouldn't expect, you know, casual uh, cinema goers to have seen everything that a director's done. But if you are going to make a comment about like, oh, they only make this kind of film or they only make that kind of film. It's like, well, maybe just like educate yourself a little bit. Like, as you said, you know, go to Taxi Driver, go to Raging Bull. Uh, you know, you'll find some you'll find some just barmy surprises in 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 in, in scorsese's uh, catalog there shouldn't be barmy but you know if you think that he's just a crime guy you will be surprised by hugo you'd be surprised by shutter island uh i was actually quite devastated recent devastated is too strong a word perhaps but um upset that um uh, scorsese suggested that you know maybe he shouldn't have directed shutter island i i love shutter island um and i thought it was great to see him make you know the closest thing he's come to to making a a, a horror film there um you'd be surprised by the aviator it's not a great film but still you know it was Scorsese, you know, working outside of his, his comfort zone. There's there's an awful lot there that to, to to prove, you know, people who've only seen that one big Scorsese film, you know, that one big Scorsese film being Goodfellas. There's an awful lot there to prove the naysayers wrong, I think. I think accessibility is a big thing on that as well. Like I was going to on a bit of a, a Scorsese rewatch in the lead up to Killers yeah. of the Flower Moon. And I was surprised like, the Irishman, Wolf of Wall Street, The Departed, and funnily enough, um, The Colour of Money were the only ones I could find on any of the, you know, the 37 streaming services and, and Sky that I'm uh, subscribed to. So I think there is a certain amount of you know, inaccessibility to his work because people just don't have physical media anymore. And that's what I kind of had to watch a, a lot of these films on. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you know what? I think I went looking for some Scorsese there last year and was surprised at that too. And every time I wanted to, to watch some Scorsese, um, I was renting it um or just or just or just buying it but and, and it, it is it is crazy that you know these are some of and we it's not as if we're mentioning anything obscure there you know we didn't go to like it's for, we didn't go to who's that knocking on my door you know we didn't go to after hours like we're mentioning you know ex- iconic pieces of cinema here so the idea that you know they're not accessible on you know the biggest streaming platforms in the world um or at least in this territory um that's baffling I'll just show, kind of show my age here. Goodfellas wasn't on any streaming services and I had to watch it on a, a DVD that I had. And halfway through the film, it popped up. I had to switch discs and flip it over. <laughs> so, I think I need That's to, a uh, thing. I think I need to invest in a, a Goodfellas Blu-ray. That's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think Have I, we never... Oh, <laughs> did you never have a flipper disc? No, I never had a flipper disc. Uh, it's some bizarre... But like, what was this one? What was it? Titanic was a, a flipper disc as well. <laughs> weird one. Universal Soldier was the weirdest one I remember because the film's only about like an hour and 40 minutes but like you know, an hour in you had to flip it you know like the, the power of Universal Soldier could not be contained on one single disc on one side yeah. I'm sorry but like Titanic is a flipper disc is an unusual sentence it's not what I expected <laughs> you to hear to say today the thing about Scorsese I've been watching um, like documentaries and things like this and Warner Brothers are putting things out now it's like their 100 year anniversary they had a, a one on Tim yeah. Burton they had one on Scorsese one thing that kind of stuck out with me is that Warner said uh, after Mean Streets John Cassavetes had recommended Scorsese to uh, direct Alice didn't live doesn't live here anymore for Ellen Burstyn and then they went, they done that Ellen Burstyn won the Oscar because Scorsese was getting criticized that he couldn't direct women and then that came out 
and then he was never criticized about that again. I was like, I, I don't think that's the case, Warner Brothers. Yeah, no, it's unusual, but you're actually have to make me think that you know something I was going to say earlier was that like the 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 last probably you'd have to go back to well, we'd have to go back to the Aviator or Gangs of New York to see um, before before uh, Kills the Flower Moon to see kind of like uh, uh, Scorsese, you know, giving audiences a, a powerful female figure who isn't just there to kind of you know. Not the powerful in gangs in New York. Don't say Cameron Diaz. No, but like someone who basically has a little bit. Of, okay, well, you know, look, I have my problems with gangs in New York, and I'm going to be talking about it in a second. But the but to, to have someone who gets you know a bit more screen time than let's say Anna Paquin had in the Irishman. I love the Irishman, and I understand what they were doing with the role there. And you know, when she finally does say something to him, it is powerful. That is very clever stuff. But at the same time, just that film and like so many others around it, it just doesn't really give women a look in at all. The same thing about like the kind of the, the perception of Scorsese, and especially now, and then with his, his daughter, it was just that the, the only reason to have TikTok or Instagram. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Absolutely hilarious. You have this perception, he's this kind of like lovely, dotty old man now. You kind of forget, like, he's been married four times and nearly died from cocaine addiction, only for De Niro essentially shook him out of a hospital bed and said, I will never make a film with you again if you don't get out of this. Yeah, yeah. When are we going to get to see that film? The Martin Scorsese biopic uh, starring, I don't know, who would we have as Marty? Martin Sheen would kind of be the obvious one, wouldn't it? Martin Sheen as Marty as Martin Scorsese. Yeah. Uh, it's not that kind I'd of rather... weird square head. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather not. <laughs> well, it would have to be De Niro, wouldn't it? De Niro would yeah. have to play him. Yeah, yeah. Leo can play him in his younger years and we'll have, and we'll have uh, yeah. This yeah. is why we're not in charge of, uh, I was supposed to say, casting couches, uh, casting balls for movies. And another thing that I didn't expect to, to hear you say today. Go through, before we go through, we're going to pick our, our best and least favorite of Scorsese ones. There's some kind of weird ones as well in there, like there's the, the Bob Dylan documentary, the George Harrison one I absolutely loved. But for me, the kind of the strangest thing in the filmography is that he directed the bad music video with Wesley Snipes and Michael Jackson. I did not know that. Did you also know that's 18 minutes long? It's like a little short film with like the whole backstory of, you know, how these gangs came to fight. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't surprise me at all now. But uh, because I, I always thought that film or that, that video was about 10 minutes long, but 18 is pushing it. Uh, but yeah, you just wouldn't get that nowadays. But I did not know that he directed that. He does have some some really weird surprises. And also some, I, that, that, do you remember that Rolling Stones film a few years back? Was it Shine a Light? Shine a Light, yeah. Yeah, I mean... What put me off that is he said he was like he was intimidated. Well, he never actually met the Rolling Stones because he was too, you know, overawed by the, you know, the 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 presence of this great band. Yeah, and this whole idea too that you know they wouldn't, uh, there wasn't much communication before they shot, and that you know he only knew kind of seconds or two minutes or something before going on stage where everyone was going to be and how this performance is going to go. It's like this is Scorsese. Like this is not like this yeah. is not. <laughs> Yeah, it's not some flashy up and coming, you know, filmmaker who's trying to make a name for himself and trying to, you know, and and that's going to stand there and say, oh no, you guys are the stones, you do the, you you know, you can direct yourselves. Nah, no, I, I didn't, I didn't believe that for a second. No, I have to say the the George Harrison, George Harrison, I absolutely love. That's my kind of hipster. He's my my favorite of the Beatles. Um, I, I thought the documentary Living in the Material World was very very good. I really really enjoyed that. Such yeah, a kind that, of enigmatic yeah. figure as well. That annoys me now. I feel like I feel like even though you are truthful there, if I had said that George Harrison was my favorite Beatle, you would have you would have gone through me now. You always struck me as a Ringo man. Uh no, it's Paul McCartney all the way. <laughs> of course, yeah. it is the most bland yeah. and obvious choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of bland and obvious, Chris, what would you say would be your favorite of the Scorsese movies? Okay, you know, so... tell, tell me, like, what do you think? I'll skin in two different ways. What do you think is the best Scorsese film and what would be your favorite Scorsese film? Okay, I I don't think I don't think I have a favorite and I think it's impossible for me to say the best because if we had this conversation tomorrow it would change if we have it on Wednesday it would change. But the 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 thing that watching Killers of the Flower Moon the other day I thought okay, right. I watched Goodfellas a couple of months ago and I will never tire of rewatching that. What I I started thinking afterwards, like what, what Scorsese films do I want to watch again? And I know this sounds, you know, it's, it's probably a bit of an obvious one, but I really want to watch The Departed again. And I don't know whether, uh, and it's so weird too, because, you know, I pick, I, you, you've asked me to pick, you know, a golden Scorsese film and I give you a remake, but unlike, let's say the Cape Fear remake, um, this one 
it did feel necessary and it did feel like Scorsese was kind of bringing, you know, the original Infernal Affairs is terrific, but it did feel like some, you know, Scorsese was putting his own stamp on things. And I just think I saw this film at an important time too, because I probably, it's 2000s. Yeah. So I was, you know, I, I was a younger man, let's say. Um, and I didn't watch an awful lot of Scorsese films when I was a teenager or growing up. And, and then this just opened up, you know, everything to me. Um, but the, 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 he also, he, the, he brought out the best, you know, that cast on paper, you know, DiCaprio, uh, Wahlberg, Nicholson, Damon, it's, it's ridiculous. I believe that he brought out the best in everyone there. And I always say that he just brought out the best in Wahlberg too. And he, Wahlberg is such a difficult actor to, uh, you know, to, if you tell people that you're a Mark Wahlberg fan, you know, you kind of get some funny looks, but what did you make of his performance in this? Again, it's the only time we had look at that and go, yeah, Marky Mark was one of the best things in this film. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. do, and I loved Nicholson's performance. It's as close to a popcorn film that I think you were ever going to get Scorsese to make. It is just like, it's entertainment. Like a lot of his films kind of deal with very, you know, very serious, very deep subjects. Although that said, that one of the things I love about Scorsese, it's not something like, you know, you watch a Christopher Nolan film, it's like, well, actually it's about this and it can be entirely, he's very much, here's the story. And this isn't kind of to, to discredit, obviously, the subtext and everything, but it's very much here's the start, middle and end. And, and that is what I absolutely love about him as a director. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I feel as though if you start to explain the plot of The Departed that's, to, to, to someone who hasn't seen it before, um, it's a little bit of a mess. But you're never you, 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 you know, watching this thing that Scorsese has a handle on it. Yes, he has kind of, you know, he's rolled out this, you know, impossibly large board game of a, of a, of a crime drama, but like he knows where all the pieces are. He knows what all the players must do. Um, and I just, I think it's sensational. I think, I think, as I said, he got the best out of everyone. Uh, his direction is, is fantastic in this. Uh, I like that, you know, he also, we only learned this recently, but that he was uh, kicking back against... Um, uh, I think the studio wanted the wanted for a different ending. Basically, I think they wanted Leo kept alive, and that there was also you know a, a, a demand there for him to kind of franchise a little bit to kind of follow Mark Wahlberg's character because of what happens you know with with his character in the last scene to follow him in the spinoff. I like that he just went no. <laughs> he just did his own thing and he kept the ending the way it was supposed to be, and he never really returned to it. Do I think though that Scorsese? Uh, deserved, uh, let's say, his Oscar for a directing Oscar for The Departed and not for some of the other films that he, that he made. I don't think so. I think maybe the year that he, he got the Oscar was almost the Academy saying, sorry for all the other times that they missed out, for all the other times that they got it wrong. Yeah, Dances with Wolves should not have been good fellas and ordinary people should not have beaten Rage and Bull. No, no. And I think, you know, he got up there and he said something about like, you know, waiting in the, in the dentist's waiting room and the dentist being like, you know, do you not, do you not, do you, do you not have an Oscar yet? Uh, yeah, I think it was um, it was sort of a, an apology in, in a way. But that isn't the takeaway from the fact that the part it is it's fantastic. Uh, it's a crowd pleaser, but again, fabulous work out of everyone involved. And yeah, Jesus, Marky Mark is very good in it. Yeah, that, that's another sentence you say very often. No, but he is. For me, I think his two best films are Rage and Bull and Casino. Like obviously, I'm a or not Rage, not Casino, bigger part, Goodfellas. I think Rage and Bull, I'm a huge boxing fan as well, so I'm very familiar with the, the Jake LaMotta story as well. Just the way that was shot, I think was kind of the antithesis. Rocky was uh, out not long before that, and he wanted to do something so different. And I think even now, like you've never seen a boxing film quite like that, quite shot the way it is. It's not even that it's particularly realistic in how it's done, but you feel every punch in that. It's just, it, it looks absolutely brutal. And it's one of the few films where I come away and go, yeah, that, that's what it's like to be in there getting punched in the face. It is a horrible, relentless film. And Goodfellas, obviously, the, the cliche. It's something you will never get tired of, of watching. And again, it's close to three hours long as well. But that absolutely zips by. Well, again, to, to say that the ones I would keep going back to, like if you said, you know, stick on, I said, well, the closest you can get to an easy watch in a Scorsese film, Casino and The Color of Money. I absolutely adore the two of them. And yeah. my hot take is I prefer Casino to Goodfellas. I, I mean, no one else has ever said that before, but yeah, okay, good for you. <laughs> I just think, I think the soundtrack, I think the I think Pesci's character is so much more layered than he is in, in Goodfellas. I know they're essentially playing versions of the same character in this. 
but I just I think the you know the the glamour and glitz of Las Vegas and you know how they absolutely fuck up this golden opportunity they've been given. I adore that film, and I think Sharon Stone is someone speaking of robbed of an Oscar. She is absolutely incredible in that film. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, and it's like, and and I agree on Goodfellas too. I I just yeah, there's. It's 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 a weird one. I just, I can't pick that's the departed was just something that I came out of Killers of the Flower Moon and thought, yeah, definitely want to watch that again. But also, you know, I, I, I want to give The Aviator another shot because I feel as though when I watched it, uh it just mm, the, but I I I've seen it twice now and I just I, I didn't buy Leo's performance, but I just I'm gonna go I'm gonna give it one more time. Even some of the even some of the um the more questionable and I say questionable, like, I don't think we really needed Scorsese's version of Cape Fear. Uh but I had a great time with that film. I had a great time. I love and, that and, film as well. I yeah. think that's just, and again, kind of, it's going to be tainted forever by the the Simpsons episode of it. Ah, oh, Sideshow Bob in the cinema. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I I'd forgotten about that. Uh, yeah, and I mean, like even also the Wolf of Wall Street, uh, which uh, you know, it got a hard time when it came out for people kind of saying, you know, Scorsese is just kind of you know glorifying this chap's behavior. I really don't think he was. I think it was just like this is a story that's kind of you know. It's 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 bananas that this is a true story and this guy was was just outrageous, you know, in everything that he did. And we're just going to show you all of that outrageous stuff and show you, you know, that there are consequences and that eventually, you know, he did do time and that he was caught. Um, I don't think, you know, Scorsese, whenever he's been making any sort of crime drama, has ever kind of glorified any of the behavior of his characters on screen. It's just this is the way, you know, especially if he's dealing with a true story, this is the way that the, the world works. And these outrageous men do get away with awful things for a long time, but then then eventually it all catches up with them. Uh, and I will also add to the list the Irishman, be, and I know it's ridiculous, and I know we've had arguments, especially about that scene outside the outside the grocery store when Robert De Niro can not hide the fact that, you know, he is 70 odd years of age and not, you know, 30 odd years of age. Uh, and he's given that awful grosser hard time on the, at the side of the path. Um, it, it, it definitely has its problems, but like Killers of the Flower Moon, I loved being in that world. And I just, to have uh, those three together and to have Joe Pesci back on screen after such a long time, I just, it, it just held me under its spell the whole time. Again, I had flaws with it. I, I understand what they were doing with Anna Paquin's character, but it just felt like a shame because you have Anna Paquin here, you can maybe do something special with her. Um, but just the having those boys in the room again, just, I loved it. I was going to ask you for your least favorite, but we're going to, I'm going to do mine for us because we're going to stick with this. By some distance, The Irishman is my least favorite Scorsese, and I include the bad music video in that. Well, I, I didn't, I didn't, yeah. Uh, it's pay, and again, I watched at the time I was watching it in the cinema. I was like, I'm really, really bored by this, and then I kind of gave it a while, and I was like, I'll watch it again. Still the same. I tried it again this year. I was like, maybe you know, a couple of years away from when I'd seen it, maybe you know, expectation. I just think the pacing of it is horrendous. There's no true line. I think how it's where it stops and where it goes back in time and where it goes forward. There's no consistency. It doesn't build to anything. It just kind of goes up and then drops again, goes up, drops again. It just, it's just a sigh of a film. It's just ugh, anytime I slightly get interested, there's like a 15, 20 minute sequence where uh, I, I lose interest again. It kind of builds me back up. The performances, the CGI look absolutely ungodly awful. And I'm just, I'm not interested in any of them the same way I are with, you know, like Ace Rossi and in Casino or Jimmy Conway and Goodfellas. There's no one in that film, with the exception of Stephen Graham, who shows up for a few minutes, you know, lights a fire under everybody and then just isn't seen again. It was just dull. And it's not a word I would use for a lot of Scorsese films, just unbelievably dull. I, I do not agree. Um, I, I loved it, and I, I was I was given out about it before it even came out. I thought, what's he going away and spending one hundred and twenty five million dollars on de aging for? Why can't you just, I don't know, just 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 have the younger actors there? Maybe limit those scenes so that you can have Pacino and Pesci and De Niro on screen for you know for longer. Um, why is he set? Why why have we got Netflix on board? And I understand as well that it's a business and that you know saying to a a, a studio. Uh, like let's say Paramount or let's say you know formerly Fox, like like you know I'm going to spend 150 million or 200 million dollars on, on on this drama. They're going to be like, well, that sounds way too risky for us, but someone like Netflix can afford it. Um, I was I was thinking this this is not something that that that's going to interest me. I was wrong. I I I loved it and I found I found the effects quite dodgy to begin with, but I kind of forgot about them after 15 or 20 minutes. 
and that might seem like a long time, but if you're dealing with a film that's like three and a half hours, it's nothing. Uh, I thought the performances are great. I thought the story was just quietly devastating. And it's not flashy like Goodfellas. You know, it's more outfits than Goodfellas. But like the the idea of this old man uh, sitting in, the, in that home talking about this just fascinating life that he had and all of the, the people's lives that, you know, they affected and that were destroyed around it. And then at the end, he just has nothing. Nobody will come and see him and nobody's left around them that, that, that he cared for. And this idea of like, what was it all for? It was, it, it was for nothing. That really, yeah, that hit me hard. Um, I remember the, 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 the lights coming on and I don't know whether it was, you know. What's annoying me is you have just explained that in a way that makes it sound far more interesting than it actually is. That people <laughs> haven't seen it will listen and go, Jeez, that sounds fucking fantastic. It's not. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I liked it a lot, and I don't know whether I was just tired or whether my muscles were at me, you know, from from sitting in the cinema that long. But I remember the credits coming on, like, and I just I sat there for a few minutes, kind of going, "Well, that was an experience." Um, so yeah, I would, I would, I would not agree on it being in one of his worst. So what would be the the bottom of your Scorsese list there? I think um, I didn't care much for silence. Uh, I just found it a little bit dull. And I don't know whether I went in thinking, well, you know, Scorsese has been trying to make this one for for decades. And, you know, this is this is obviously going to be his masterwork. This is going to be the culmination of everything. We've, we've been working towards this. for de- mm, I, I sort of forgot about it while I was watching it. Um, it just I, it felt underpowered. It felt, you know, me- meandering. It kind of, you know. It, 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 it a, a little bit dull and i hate to say that as well about the scorsese picture but i think the prize for 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 the biggest misfire is probably gangs in new york because it just it never it starts off as this huge pantomime show and and it never becomes anything i i it, it just never becomes real for me you know all i can all i can see is ideas and ambition and and, and their grace and you know, Daniel Day Lewis looks as though he had an amazing time on it, but I, I, that never, that, 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 that was never the case for me. I thought you had a case of, you know, Cameron you Diaz. I know I was saying New York that I have to say, like, I think the Daniel Day Lewis's performance is a big part of that, where it was just, I was never yeah. not entertained. Oh, you were never not entertained? Yes. The double thing. Okay. Yeah. I was, right, I was entertained no, but... the whole way through, primarily because Day Lewis was so good in it. Yeah, I just found the whole thing a bit of a, a bloody cartoon, and and I just thought, you know, Cameron Diaz again. We had this, you know, and it's not as if it's the it's the it's the most powerful female role that's ever been given to an actress. Um, but at least she had more screen time than other than other women in Scorsese films. Uh, but I just thought that, you know, she was wrong for it, and I thought Leo was maybe a little bit miscast too. I just thought it was kind of one bad decision after another. I appreciate, you know everyone involved taking risks and trying to do something different but i just don't think the whole thing really comes together i haven't seen i was just looking through his, uh, his filmography there silence is the only one i haven't actually seen i just i've never been in a position where i'm sitting there going really in the humor of uh, liam neeson's a priest now <laughs> yeah in quite the statement uh yeah look it's an amazing cast andrew garfield is just you know he's working his backside off in it and adam driver is always you know you know he's always worth showing up for i just remember watching my watch so many times um i think there was a big uh glitzy premiere event in savoy a few years back first and it i i was getting sleepy during it i just it, it's it's so underpowered i like we've gone through all this and no one has mentioned taxi driver yet I didn't want to be obvious, you know. I decided to go to the party <laughs> instead. <laughs> Again, I think that's a film. Taxi Driver is a film that's kind of because it's been in like the public consciousness so much for even yeah. like it's in the zeitgeist. Even people who haven't seen it are familiar with you know certain scenes. The you talking to me and the you know the idea behind it. It's hard to like. It's a really good film, which is a very controversial statement, obviously. Yeah. It's 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 been popularized so much that you tend to forget just how bleak and how actually like a fantastic film that is for somebody who is like, you know, is toured feature film essentially to be that much of a completion. It's like we're still talking about it like fifty years on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's like you know, it's a masterwork. You know, I think what he was. 
probably only like the four or five films into his career at that stage. Um, yeah, and you would think that's what I mean. That you know, if you if I if I made something like Taxi Driver, if I made something half as good as Taxi Driver, you know, I wouldn't still be pushing to 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 top that in in fifty years. I'd be like, right, lads, you got your <laughs> I gave I gave you a masterpiece. I'm retiring now. Um, but that's what I love about him. And I actually I I, I mentioned earlier about picking the Departed. I think I so I was probably about seventeen when the Departed came out. Uh, something like that, maybe seventeen, eighteen. And I remember the only Scorsese films I probably would have seen, you know, before that where, you know, I would have gone to see The Aviator. I'd seen, you know, uh, uh, Gangs of New York. But it wasn't until like, you know, kind of as an adult discovering all of these, you know, awesome Martin Scorsese films like Taxi Driver, like seeing Goodfellas for the first time, like seeing Raging Bull, uh, you know, and, then, and and in that, you know, seeing one of the best dramas of the 70s, seeing one of the greatest gangster films ever made, seeing, you know, arguably the, the greatest boxing movie ever made. I got to discover Martin Scorsese in my own time. So I would urge people if they still think that, you know, he is only kind of, you know, a one-trick pony or that he's just that, you know, he's that gangster guy, go and pick, you know, a selection of the films that we made. Go and pick two or three of the films including the Irishman, never mind, Andy. Don't put them off. <laughs> but like, go and, and seek those films out and watch them in your own time. And you'll, you'll, you'll just see, you know, a master at work. Someone who's just so invested in what he's doing. Someone who takes chances. Yes, some of them don't always work out. But there's, not, there's no other storyteller like him. I love him. Imagine having a career where we can mention, what, about 15 of his films and then forget Taxi Driver at the end. Like, that. that's a by the by. It is, yeah, yeah. I feel as though someone's going to be shouting at us now. <laughs> but but uh, no, look, we, we, we got in there. Yeah. And then you talked about Raging Bull. I feel like we, we should have probably said something about The Last Temptation of Christ. Look, he even has a film about Jesus. <laughs> what I mean, more do you want? Like, the thing that annoys me as well about the, we're just picking on Marvel fans here, but like, yeah. oh, he doesn't appreciate this. Like the man has literally started the world cinema project where he is restoring old films that, you know, aren't you know, probably at the point where probably at Scorsese's stage, you now we're trying to restore Scorsese films. The man loves cinema more than anything in the world. And to have someone who, you know, a fan of Ant-Man, Quantumania, you know, think they can talk shit to Scorsese is mind boggling to me. Oh, it is mind boggling. And you know what? It is. It's, it's just as tiresome to hear people it, 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 it's tiresome to hear people give out about comic book movies and kind of say, oh, you know, they're just, they're ridiculous or they're empty-headed or something. No, like comic book movies, you know, when when done right, and we've had, you know, we've been blessed to have so so many good ones. When they're when they're done right, they can be so effective and they can be so powerful and moving and just like so much fun to be, to, to be involved in. I think Scorsese was just kind of saying that, you know, they are a different sort of experience. You know, they are, you know, something akin to theme park experience, which you know and there's nothing wrong with being you know having a great time in a theme park like that that they're just a different thing i think that's all he was trying to say um and i sort of agree with them and but to have like you know even today you know coming across another story that uh where where you had you know that these hardened marvel fans basically saying that you know avengers endgame will be around you know long after killers of the flower moon and and you know the the, the marvel films have had a bigger impact on the cinema stop do not don't educate yourself do, do not come out with ridiculous things like that about someone whose work you clearly know nothing about that the, the, there's no room for that here yeah uh I, I, that's a hell of a note to end on that you know Endgame <laughs> is gonna outlast taxi driver or good fellas so yeah on that bombshell i think we're gonna leave it there chris said endgame is better than anything in scorsese's <laughs> catalog Chris Wasser, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you. I disagree with about 99% of what you do, but it's always entertaining and insightful to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks a million, Andy. Always a pleasure. Cheers. Cheers.